What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Today we are talking with singer-songwriter Chelsea Cutler. You might know Chelsea's work from her collaborations with Kygo on the song Not Okay, as well as songs with her friend Jeremy Zucker, including You Were Good to Me, which they performed live on NBC's The Today Show in 2019. Then in 2020, Chelsea released her debut album, How to Be Human, on Republic Records. Reviews talked about how, as an artist, Chelsea has an amazing ability to make her fans feel a part of her world, and that her music was honest and healing. In 2021, Chelsea released the album When I Close My Eyes, which also got great reviews and was called the uplifting album everyone needs right now. Chelsea has a North American tour starting in March of 2022, so check out all her music, tour dates, and merch at ChelseaCutler.com. Now on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so that we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And Chelsea and I talk about a very tough topic, which is her struggle with depression. Like many people, Chelsea struggled with depression for a long time before she realized what it was. She felt a pervasive sense of fatigue and often was not able to fully experience a deeper sense of satisfaction or fulfillment. And Chelsea describes the cognitive and behavioral therapeutic techniques that she uses to try to manage her depression and attain some semblance of what she calls emotional neutrality even when she is in a depressed state. Now, as we progress through this season of Going There, our goal is to bring you, the audience, further into the conversation. On the Consequence website and wherever you find these episodes, you'll also find a short questionnaire. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions you have that have been sparked by our conversations with these incredible artists, and topics you'd love to hear addressed. We incorporate these responses into episodes, as well as a monthly column called Ask Dr. Mike on the Consequence website. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. These help other folks find their way into the conversation so they can go there with us. And also, if you get a chance, the Timeless Podcast Company presents a powerful new series, Breaking Anonymity, where artists sit down to discuss their personal struggles with addiction, substance abuse, and recovery. 
So join hosts MC Search and Kyle Eustace as they share their own experience, strength, and hope while having thoughtful conversations with other addicts from across the music and entertainment landscape. Catch Breaking Anonymity wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes dropping every Wednesday. Now, let's go there and listen to what Chelsea has to say. So, Chelsea, welcome to Going There. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So, let's just get right into it. You have talked about uh, in the press and through your music about struggling with depression. And maybe the first thing that we can start with is just how depression has manifested for you. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that for me, it was something I realized freshman year of college that I was struggling with. And I actually didn't really know there was anything kind of categorically wrong with me until I was in like an, a freshman like intro to psychology class. And we were discussing like the symptoms of anxiety and depression. And I leaned over to my friends and I was like, guys, I thought that was normal. Do you not experience this on a daily basis? And they were like, no. Um, so I called my parents and, and kind of explained my findings to them. Um, and yeah, I think it's been, it's been a bit of like an omnipresent force in my life kind of since then. Um, but I think, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about this more is like, as you get older, you obviously learn more skills. So I think I'm far better equipped now than I was at that age, but yeah, that's kind of how, um, that's kind of how I kind of realized what was going on there. Now, do you mind me asking, and again, anything you're comfortable talking with, we can, if you're not, that's obviously okay too, but depression and anxiety manifest so differently for many people is just when, when you were thinking about the symptoms that you were having, like, what were you identifying that was being discussed in your class that you, that you thought was normal, quote unquote? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for starters, feeling fatigued all the time. Um, a, a huge sign for me was I was waking up every day and I was really stoked about getting to the end of the day. Like I would wake up and the first thing I would think about is when my day would be over and when, like, when I would be able to get to crawl back into my bed and like have reclusive alone time. Um, and I remember like that particularly like being the biggest that was like the most shocking thing I heard in class was like people with depression wake up and like immediately um like they're not really excited about their day they they immediately want to be back in bed um because I guess that I don't know I've thought about that a lot like what that means um but I think a lot of it is just like when you have depression daily, even like the most mundane, like daily things you do on a daily basis are like exhausting and really daunting and like take a lot of energy. Um, that was like the biggest, that was the biggest telltale sign for me. And then I think, yeah, just like being exhausted, um, super jittery, um, had like f irrational fears of things um, that just weren't, realistic 
um just like feeling yeah like I think the I think depression is so exhausting that that fatigue translates into like lack of motivation um feeling antisocial even when you're like a really outgoing person um just like on a daily basis I didn't feel very like hopeful about my goals yeah those I think those are kind of like the main kind of red flags that I identified yeah and you know what you're talking about is part of what makes depression so painful is that it really is is two things often at the same time, which is all of these negatives that you're talking about, you know, the fatigue and the exhaustion and not being able to imagine, you know, anything kind of working out in the way that you would want to. But then it's also this, this nothing feels good. It's not just that it's not just that things feel bad. You know, you, something we talked about ahead of time, um, you know, you were an athlete in college and you kind of know the concept of, well, I'll, I'll do things that are difficult for a greater goal. But when you're depressed, it's the idea of doing something that would feel good in any way in the moment or in the future feels so completely out of the realm of possibility. Plus, you have all of these negative things piling up. It, it does make the idea of just getting to the end of the day as quickly as possible seem so much more appealing. Yeah, totally. I have struggled a lot with finding joy in in things that I typically love to do. Um, Playing soccer at school actually was amazing for me. I think it was really good for me. Um, I definitely am like super extroverted in the sense that having like a team community and having having like common goals that were outside of myself. um, Those things were really good for me. It's like funny because touring is such a team sport too, um, that you would think it would have a similar effect on me, but there were times that I like really struggled to enjoy touring even, um, which was like a, a major point of discussion with like my psychiatrist and therapist. Yeah, and I think that that's unfortunately one of the ways that people start to understand depression or anxiety is when they notice that it's interfering with their life. You know, there, there's definitely just the, it would be great to, to feel good in general, but in that, you know, that, that sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't happen for people. But when they notice that there are things that they typically would enjoy And all of a sudden it's like, what is happening? Like there was something that's just not coming out of me in the same way that it did. And that's really where it can become very, very frightening for people. Yeah, totally. And I think that also like, especially when my depression has been bad, I have longed for this notion of like, I'll feel good every day. Like most of the time, like I always kind of thought the opposite of depression was like, I always thought that like normal people in quotation marks felt just like happy and good all the time. And I think in getting older, um, it's been like way healthier for me to accept neutral, like emotional neutrality. And I think um, just going off of that again, like I think when you're emotionally neutral, you're able to 
remedy like sadness or remedy like depressive tendencies with things that make you feel good. Um, and I think when, when I've been in like my worst depressive episodes or even, even like longer, like more mild ones, um, I've definitely noticed like, okay, this is, this is actually, I'm actually in an episode because I can't derive like remedies from things that I like to do. And, you know, can I tell you that concept of emotional neutrality is, is such an interesting one. I, I don't think I've ever heard it phrased that way. And, and I do think that there is a tendency for people who struggle with their mental health in any way to assume that everybody, you know, around us is just walking around happy and, and accepting the notion that, look, there's, there's a neutral place that you can, that you can sort of, uh, it's like a launching pad a little bit, I think helps. And you can tell me if it helped you, but I think it would help a lot of people because when you, when you think it's like, okay, I've got to get from being more depressed or anxious to neutral, as opposed to like, it's like, I can kind of conceptualize that, but to get from being depressed or anxious to being happy, like quote unquote, everybody else who's quote unquote normal. It's just like, ugh, it's just like, there's no way. Totally. That's super daunting to think about. Um, and I think that I think it's such a problem kind of culturally how we like collectively see happiness because um, I think that it's portrayed as like a state of being. And that's just not that's not really a healthy way, I think, to look at happiness. Like I think happiness sh should be treated as like any other fleeting emotion. Um, like there's obviously like happiness should be like a natural, like emotional reaction to things the same way sadness or anger or surprise or like any other emotion that you would have is. So like, I think, especially when you're in the depths of like a depressive episode, thinking of happiness as like the state of being that you need to get to is like super damaging because that doesn't even exist. Uh, listen, I'm with you a thousand percent. I think that it, it's, and I don't think these are uh, coincidental. I think that there is almost what some people call the tyranny of positivity, a tyranny of happiness that happens in the context of so many people not being positive, so many people not being happy. And I think you're right. Like it creates more of a stigma for people because they're thinking to themselves, everybody looks so happy. And it's like, and I don't, I think I agree with you. I think happiness is kind of a more fleeting sense. I think that there are quote unquote positive emotions like satisfaction and fulfillment and being purpose-driven that are much deeper that don't necessarily lend themselves to happiness in the classic totally. sense. And I think and I that think, people get very confused. Oh, oh no, go ahead. I'm yeah. Sorry. I was going to say like, I think that's, such a massive like misconception with depression too is people think that depression is like the opposite of being happy like people think it's just being sad when it's really all of it it's like um it's like the lack of those more stable like positive feelings like contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment um and i think that's what makes it so much like more difficult like I think on a daily basis just feeling sad could be manageable to some extent but to feel the absence of 
like any hope or any like I don't hope is such a big one for me because I think um when I'm kind of like in the throes of my depression I get this feeling where like oh my gosh if this is like how burdensome life feels at 24 like I don't know how to do another 60 years of this or however long I'm fortunate enough to live um and like that comes fully from like a lack of those more like stable positive emotions and like not from a lack of happiness really yeah and I I really liked something you said which I I don't know if I'm quoting it right but you said to make a distinction between struggling with depression versus being a quote unquote sad girl you know and the difference between those things is that yeah, you, totally. you know, the, you know I, I think I think that to be honest, like depression being named depression as a as a disorder kind of does a, a little bit of a disservice because it, it again makes people naturally connect with like, oh, I'm sad or oh, I'm quote unquote depressed, which are much more fleeting in connection with what's going on with your life to a degree. Whereas I think depression as a as a condition, as, as a mental health issue is much more along the lines of what you're describing. Like there's, there's energy issues. There's, you know, there's physical issues. And I I feel like that distinction that you're making, I think is very important for people to realize. Totally. I personally can't really stand like the commodification of it. um, Because I think it's exactly, it, it like is doing exactly what you're saying. Like it, it draws a connection between fleeting sadness and like the definition of depression and like I don't think those I don't like I don't think that's accurate yeah and then what people do is they'll say things like why are you so why are you depressed your life is good and it's just like you know and and I've 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 said this before other people have said this before where it's like well you don't say to somebody your life is so great why do you have diabetes your life is so great. Why do you have heart disease? Those things totally. have nothing. Those things have nothing to do with one another. Totally. And like your present day life being great, um, I don't think has like that. Like again, I think when you talk about happiness and sadness as like these fleeting emotional reactions, like yeah, I get that. Like your life's great. Why are you sad? Like that question makes sense to me. Um, And then when you equate depression and like reactionary sadness, um, which is like what I think a lot of like the commodification of depression does, you're like reducing depression to that kind of like reactionary emotion. And then if it's reactionary, it doesn't make sense because like if your life is great, like why as a reaction are you depressed? Um, And that's not, again, like that's not what depression is. It's so much deeper than that and has to do with so much more um like at least for me like again you could say okay you're a 24 year old um you're doing the thing that you're passionate about for a living you're making great money you have great friends you have your health why are you depressed and like on paper it's like yeah that makes no sense um but none of those things have anything to do with like the deep-rooted like cognitive distortions that are my depression. Now, when you say the commodification, that, that's, that's a very interesting concept to me. Like, are you, are you talking about that? Like from a, 
a marketing perspective, like people are like depression and sadness is somehow being packaged for us and then sold to us in some way? Yeah, I like fully think that that's a thing. And like, men- I also think it's like super trendy to like commodify mental illness just in general. So can you talk about how you think mental health issues are either packaged and fed back to us and and how that system works? Because again, I I haven't heard that many people talk about that idea. Yeah, totally. Um, So I think that it spans across like a few different like levels of depth. So I've seen like, okay, so it's very like superficially like, um, I've seen brands, I think it was like Burger King, I think, which like I have no problem like calling by name. Um, Like I saw Burger King did a campaign around like not just having happy meals, but also having like angry, like mad meals or like sad meals. And like it was around mental health awareness and I just remember thinking like, wow, this is so diminishing. Um, and like you're, you're commodifying how like trendy and hip it is to be aware and be um, like active in, in like trying to like destigmatize mental health, but you're just like diminishing it to these really, really basic like child level emotions um so that that's like on a super really superficial um level and then like I think you see all the time on social media um like I think it's one thing to open up and be like authentic with your following about the way you're feeling and the things you struggle with like I think that's really cool when artists or like public figures do that but I think it's really uncool when it's like a part of someone's branding like their merch or like their overall like aesthetic branding as a public figure. Um, again, like I think with art, it's hard to not commodify it. Like I commodify me- my mental health struggles because I use like art as an outlet for it. Um, and then I sell that art theoretically. Um, so like I, I think that's totally one thing, but I think if I were going around like branding myself as like this categorically like sad or depressed girl, um, like, I just think that's really uncool. Um, and I think it's like, I just think it's damaging. I don't think it's helpful. I think it's damaging for mental health to be an identity. Let's break that down a little bit. So, so, Let's let's think of the actual interaction that somebody has, right? So let's take somebody who struggles with depression. And let's say that there's an artist who, again, from what you're describing, that's that's part of their brand or whatever. I guess, I guess the question is walk, walk me through what that does to somebody who is struggling with that issue. Yeah, totally. I mean. I can only speak from like my own experience and like my own, like the, like my own shoes. Um, but like, in my opinion, I think it, so I, it's like a double-edged sword because I think on one hand people are like, 
oh, wow, there's this whole community of people who, like, feel the way I do. That's cool. That's, like, supportive. Um, but it also, like, at the same time, it also makes, it, it like, makes depression cool. Um, like, especially when it's on merch, when it's, like, what all these people are bonding over. Um, it's like, yeah, it's cool to be sad. It's like cool. It's like, oh, it's so fun. And like, not, not, um, like facetiously fun, but like, you know what I mean? Like it's something for people to bond over and they feel included. And it's like, this is not like depression is not fun. It's not cool. It's not, it's not cute. Um, it's not something I want to bond with anybody over. Um, it's, something I wouldn't wish on anybody. Um, and it's something that like, I don't, I don't think it's healthy to like identify. Like it's not, it's not the same as like, Oh, we all like pop music. We all like rock and roll music. We all like to paint. Like, it's not, it's not like a defining characteristic. Um, and I think it's like really unhealthy to, to like think of it as a defining characteristic. Like how, how, how like liberating is it to know that I'm a person um I'm a person who like struggles with depression but I'm not that's not like that doesn't define me as a person I I it's not like an identifying characteristic yeah I think that one of the things that you're talking about and and look this is a discussion that's happening more broadly in society is you know, you're taking it. There's almost, I don't know if I would use the term cultural appropriation for this, but it's almost a similar concept of what you're talking about. It's that when someone lives in a culture of depression, if you will, and there's definitely something that feels very powerful about understanding that and, and connecting with people who also live in that culture in terms of like struggling with it and how to get better. And there's, there's something that can be very powerful about that connection. And also, like you're saying, even in like a psychology class to know that it's a something it's like, I didn't even know what this was, but, but okay. So that, that can be good if you will, and helpful. But then if you see people who you feel like are kind of stepping in and out of it, it almost feels like, okay, like you're, we're not the same, like, cause I can't just step in and out of it. And so you're getting all the benefits of like being part of that culture without any of the, the blood, sweat and tears that went into it. So it means something different for me than it does for you. And in some ways it, it cheapens it a little bit. I'm, yeah, I'm not I saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I totally get what you're saying. Um, and I think that like, again, that feeling is a double-edged sword too. Um, Cause on one hand, yeah, I totally feel that way. Like I feel like my depression is cheapened when it's commodified. And like when it's, I feel like my, my like struggles and my feelings are cheapened when someone else is like turning depression into this like cute brand. Because again, like, yeah, these feelings don't feel cute. They feel really massive and really serious. Um, and then at the same time, it's like, who am I to speak on how like anyone else copes with their depression or like their feelings? 
so it's really confusing it's like a really confusing line to walk and I think it's also like really important to acknowledge that it's complex and like it's important to acknowledge that also like my feelings on it aren't um aren't like particularly like polarized one way like that it's definitely complex yeah and and I think this is one of the things that's so tough I think when any new concept gets introduced into society you know so whether or not it's corporations or artists or or family members you know I I spend a lot of time or, or I, I'd say universities, you know, like I spend a lot of time working with people where a lot of what I, I deal with is like, for lack of a better saying, how not to talk about mental health issues, you know, because you, you get in theory, like people who are well-intentioned and are like, oh, you know, like, like this thing that we're talking about. I mean, I'm sure that, that every person who struggled with depression or anxiety has heard, oh, come on, like, you know, life is great or like, come on, just relax. Things are good. And it's just like, Oh my God. And it's, it's well-intended and it's coming from sort of the right place, but because it's not, but, but no one would say that if they understood what the other person was going through really. And so that's part of the problem is that getting that sense of connection of that validation of like, do you really know what I'm going through? is so hard. And so you have all of these things personally, societally, educationally, and in the health world where there's just all these misses that happen that make it that much worse for someone who's struggling to figure out like where they're at or how they get better. Yeah, totally. And like, I think that is a big, like, I think that's a big part of like why I kind of like, I think other than, in like interviews and in my music like I don't really talk about mental health like I feel like the most I feel like the most effective way to talk to other people about it is like just through like really brute honesty um which is like something I feel like I can only achieve through like writing songs about it um well, you, you did have one of the cooler lines of I'm waiting for someone to tell me this won't last forever, but it's hell for me. I was like that. Yeah. I was like that. That pretty much covers it. Yeah, totally. Like, I don't um, like I think these things are really hard to talk about. Like verbally, like not like um, like conversationally, like through music, it feels so much easier for me Um Cause like, again, like when you're speaking on your own experiences, like, I feel like I can't, I can't really say like the wrong thing. Whereas even, even as someone with depression, like, I still feel like I'm going to say the wrong thing when I'm sitting down talking to like a friend or someone else who struggles with it as well. Um, Cause it really is so personal and like, so um, like, it's just so nuanced, like person to person. I mean, I I've been working with people, for almost 30 years and I have so many misses still. I have, I got training, I have education, I have experience. And can I tell you like the number of times that I'll say something and I'll just be like, Oh God, like what on earth were you thinking? 
or like you get totally. like, I or, or if I was, yeah, or you get like it, like you know, like if I if someone's you know depressed or anxious and they're doing something that might harm them, it's like I start I I you know like it's kind of like what happens with my kids, you know, it's like like when you're like when you when you're a parent and your kids doing something that might hurt them. So let's say my kids are coming like running down the stairs with like slippery socks on, right? It's like they're now two people. There's the person I love and would do anything to protect. And then there's the person who just put that person in harm's way. And I'm like, what? I, you know, and then I'm like, what the fuck are you thinking? Totally. Running down. And it's, and it's, and I, it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, you kind of have to remember, Hey, that, that person you love is still in there and they need to know that you love them or as a therapist need to know that you care about them. And then, but then like, you know, you find yourself all of a sudden be like, oh my God, I'm like, <laughs> this is, this is not helping at all. No, that's so valid. That's so valid. One of the things that's very tough, I think about getting into any issue and this, and this is also in a positive way, you know, I think as an example, you know, a lot of the benefits of getting into anything that you're interested in, like, you know, like music or soccer is, is in the depth of it is in the immersion of it. You know, so you have all of those, you know, wonderful feelings of like, you know, just just getting into your music and like working it through and going on tour and, you know, meeting different people and, you know, getting the connection with the fans. And it's like there's so much that happens when you fully do it. And not that you can't get any of the benefits if you don't fully do it, but a lot of the benefits are, are, are there. And I think that unfortunately it's similar for things that are a little bit more troublesome. Like the real important, the real important connections are unfortunately getting immersed in how difficult something like mental illness can be and what it really does to employees, to a company, to, to people's lives and, and, and really grappling with it on an in-depth level, which unfortunately takes a long time. And so it's yeah, sort of and like, prob- and probably a lot of resources. Yeah. And, and it's, it's hard because it's, it's, it, you know, it's like, and, and you almost have this, this people are kind of like, well, like how in depth, and it, this happens on an interpersonal level too. You know, I think a lot of people who struggle with depression feel like there's a line that they can't cross when they're talking to friends and family. Like I can tell them to a point how I'm doing. So they have a flavor of it, but do I really want to get into the, into the absolute depths of where I'm at? Because I don't know what they'll do with that information. Like, I don't know if they'll see me differently. I don't know if they'll judge me. I don't know if they'll, they'll just freak them out. But, you know, I think that that's one of the things that people that everybody, when it comes to mental health issues, sort of struggles with. It's just like, how in depth do we go? It's just that the people who struggle with it, they have to go in depth, at least internally. Like, think about the original thing that you were saying, like you were struggling with this alone. And that's, and that's, I think, such, you know. I mean, I think like a lot of people, like, theoretically, they want to like dig deep um, and like help those who like, like help their loved ones who struggle. But like, but then I think when it, when like fist comes to fist, like it's exhausting and it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of thought. And I feel like a lot of people like either are scared or don't want to actually go there. 
Um, and like that, again, like I think when I was when I was first getting acquainted with my depression, I was definitely terrified to talk to people about it because like, yeah, theoretically on the surface, like I feel like people do want to help, which again, like goes back to companies. Like I'm sure companies like and brands, like they do want to help. Um, but to like actually dig deep takes time and resources, um, not just for like companies and brands, but also for like real people dealing with friends or loved ones. Um, I don't know if that, does that make sense? Like, I yeah. feel like, no, like, I, I, even I, if someone comes to me, like theoretically, I'm like, yes, I will always be there for someone. And then like, when someone comes to you, it's like deep down, you're like, all right, this is going to take this, this is like a real emotional commitment to like work through this with this person and like be there for them, which is, which like you got to do. But I think a lot of people are reluctant to. Yeah. And it's, it's because what winds up happening is that, you know, like, like one thing, one thing that I try to do that I don't always do because I, I, I have a tendency to like, just want to jump right in and like problem solve and like, you know, that kind of thing. But I think one of the things that I try to do at least is just be like, all right, before I say a word, just tell me, tell me your story. Like, tell me what is happening. And I'm not going to say one thing other than like, I'm going to repeat back to you what I think I'm hearing until you tell me like, okay, you get it. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you take it out of like this context, like, you know, you like run to a friend about some issue that happens, like, okay, like just, I just need you. I just need to know that you get what I am talking about. Even if don't tell me if you agree with me, whatever. And then you're like, blah, blah, blah. you're like, just like, let it all I'll be like, okay, I get what you're saying. Like, you just want to get to that point first, at least that you feel like, okay, at least I'm talking to someone who gets it, or I think gets it, or is trying yeah, to get it. Awesome. And then maybe that's, and maybe that's something that people can take away is that, listen, before you, you jump in, just, just listen. You know, really, really like focus on that listening and, and get information and sort of come from the perspective of I may not really get this at all. And, and you know, like if you, if you struggle with depression, you may sit there and be like, man, I know exactly what you're talking about. Or but if not, just to try to come from that place of like, can, can we just get on the same page that you don't feel so alone in this? At least, you know, that someone else sort of gets it. Yeah, that's such an awesome first step, too, I think. And, like, I get, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like, if anyone is taking away from this conversation something, like, what a great first step um, to approaching, like, helping somebody who's coming to you with, with something. Yeah, and, you know, like, and tell me, tell me if this sounds right to you, because something else that I, I kind of notice is that it's, it's kind of a weird thing because, like, and I, I definitely do this. So I'm not judging anyone else who does it. But if there is someone who I care about and they are struggling, I'm going to feel that. Like, I'm, I'm going to, I hope I, you know, I hope I feel that. Like, and I'm going to, and it's going to evoke something in me. But there's this little fine line that, that happens where at some point, my anxiety about it is now becomes a little bit more prominent than their depression or anxiety. And I'm, I'm now managing my own anxiety in terms of what I'm saying. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, like, well, well why don't you do this? Or why, why don't you do that? Like, you know, and all of a sudden I realized that it's like, I, I think I, it started with them, but it kind of ended with me 
a little bit. That's super interesting. It makes sense for sure. You know, because I think that's when a lot of people also, there starts to be that disconnect where you're like, someone's like, someone's giving you advice or telling you how to help. And you're like, it sounds like it should be right, but something doesn't feel right. And then you sort of realize it's like, oh yeah, you're now thinking about what could help me to improve how you feel and not intentionally either. Like the, the, the still, but that's the other thing that I think is like so difficult to do, but so important is to keep coming back to what do you need from me? Right. Just, just because someone's depressed doesn't mean that they're, they're incapable of knowing how their journey might go. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting. It is crazy how it can like, as a response, you can like feel so unsettled too. And then, then you're like suddenly cognizant of like managing your own emotions on top of trying to like be a good support system for the other person. That's super interesting. Hi there. This is Dr. Mike Friedman from Going There with Dr. Mike, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. After you check out the latest episode of my show, be sure to check out some of the other great programs on Consequence Podcast Network, including The Opus and Kyle Meredith With. Head to consequence.net to listen to these podcasts and many great others. Let's let's shift for a moment because these are these are things like you know I, I I really appreciate your talking about this idea of commodification and like how you see it and what people maybe on what other people can do and but something that you and I talked about previously is just to also discuss like what you have done that you feel like has helped manage your depression or anxiety that that might also be helpful for other people. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I have like a few things that are kind of embarrassing, but so I like to write down everything I know about myself um, for future reference. So I have a list of like my friends who live in New York City. That way, when I have the cognitive distortion that I'm lonely and I don't have like the like an adequate support system, I have a literal I have like literal data that contradicts that thought. Um, I write down like foods that I like. I write down things that I literally have a list of things that I like to do so that when I feel passionless or I feel like I can't find joy in anything, I'm like, okay, well, here's, here's data that these things help me maintain like a good, um, kind of like state of mind and it's like exercise um like food neutrality routine social activity it's I mean it's all pretty intuitive stuff but seeing it written down and being like oh this is real tangible data of like that these things help me um it's like weirdly super helpful for me and it like helps me combat cognitive distortions because like those thoughts aren't correct and I I can reference this data to be like, see, this is, this is proof that like this thought is a distortion and it's not, it's not accurate. Um, so that's like, that's my like life hack. That's been super helpful for me and therapy also, which I also write down everything from. 
Well, that and 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 I don't I don't know if you're specifically doing cognitive behavioral therapy, but that that's a very yes, standard. Okay, it's just yeah, I have been for like four years. Now. <laughs> so I, that's a, you know what you're saying. It's it's weird, but that that's a very I think standard cognitive behavioral therapy intervention, which I, I would definitely encourage people to do because one of the things that happens when you're in a in a a certain state of mind is you have to remember, like from an evolutionary perspective, we're designed like if we're anxious, like where it's almost like watching one of those, one of those like movies where it's like, okay, what's everything we know about this person, you know, or like, you know, like a Jason Bourne movie or something like that. And if we get anxious, it's like, let's bring up everything that would make us anxious, every thought, every feeling, every smell, every taste. And the same thing with depression. So that, if we can forget because we need that if we think that there's a there's a uh, there's a threat of some kind we need every piece of data to let us know what's going on which totally. can unfortunately flood us but and so if you keep track of those things and you you've decided that that you just struggle with your mood and that what you're feeling at that moment may not be the final answer it's super good to have that grounding it's just be like it's one thing to say like, well, I don't think I'll enjoy music now, but let me, let me keep track of the fact that I know that I've enjoyed music this number of times and that, and, and, and then I've gotten depressed and then enjoyed it again. That means that there's a better chance that I might enjoy it again in the future. So that, I think that's super helpful as a, as an intervention. I have like a super um, like easily persuaded brain also I don't know if that is a result of like my education, like the culture of the school I went to, um, or because I'm just like a generally like easygoing person. I don't have like that many opinions about things, um, but I'm like so easily persuaded by by like data that seems reasonable and convincing. So if I feel a certain way referencing other like opposing data is super helpful for me um so exactly what you're saying like I feel like depression and and anxiety are like they're really like research oriented um in that like it's at least for me it's like my brain compiling all this data about stuff even if it's like super irrational and and like not correct um so yeah, for me, I'm like, oh wait, like I actually do love these things. Um, oh wait, I actually do have all these friends. Oh wait, I actually have like all these resources. Um, I like at least for me personally, I'm like, oh that's like okay, nice. Like I can turn that around because <laughs> I'm just like kind of a, I'm kind, I'm kind of like flimsy, um, in my beliefs like to an extent. So I can kind of like convince myself out of things easily. Um, I know not obviously not everybody is that is, is wired that way. Um, But yeah, you know, just as an alternative though, because, you know, and and I hear what you're saying. It's like some people will hear that and they'll think to themselves, Oh my God, that would, that would really work for me. But then for some people, they might think, well, that's, that's not. And, and, and because they may need something more, what they would consider to be immersive and holistic which I think you you do to an extent in your music as well. And I think that a lot of people will find that whether doing 
art or music or or sports or something that that is kind of again it, it kind of gets in the feel a different way think a different way see things totally. without w- without necessarily in, intentionally doing so totally you yeah know? i mean i think i think art and sports are both like fantastic kind of holistic approaches um there's something like so beautiful about the fact that like through art you're literally creating something that didn't exist before and if that's like not fulfilling and like doesn't give you purpose like for me I don't know what else could like the 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 fact that like I'm capable of making something that literally doesn't exist until I make it like that that's like mind-blowing to me and gives me a lot of purpose um and like I think I think exercise too, like working out playing a sport going for a run, like getting off your phone and like seeing how capable your body is, your hands are of doing things. Um, that, that is like huge for me. Like being able to go for a run or like, um, I go surfing sometimes with my girlfriend and like to be off my phone for an hour or two hours and see like what my body's capable of is a huge reminder to me that like, I'm powerful. It's like super empowering to be like, Oh my gosh, look at like what, look at like physically what I can do. That's nuts to me. Yeah. And, and I would definitely encourage people like, even if, you know, you're not in a place where you feel capable of doing certain things like even, and and listen, this is part of the reason why we talk to musicians. Like they'll say, when you learn how to do therapy, always go where the affect is, go where the emotion is, you know? And I think that that's why people turn to music so much because just for some reason, it's like, okay, that's where my feeling is. And that even if you yourself can't make art or, or get, you know, that, that, that would be fantastic or get to, to surf or, you know, play soccer or whatever it is. Even if you can just get to the point where you're listening to something that feels validating that feels connected can, can make such a difference. And I think there's so many people, you know, that will describe like being able to listen to their favorite artist for certain things. It's just like, okay, like I I feel somehow like someone gets me. I feel connected to something bigger. Totally. Totally. Not that I think comes in like, like when you said listening to your favorite artist, like that also made me think of like, people who are passionate about like a particular sports team or like that community exists in like so many places, no matter like whatever your interest is, I feel like there's a community there. Yeah. And, and, and just that, that first step, you know, even like whether it's trying to find someone to talk to someone to listen to something to investigate online all the way up to seeking out a therapist or a, a healthcare provider, just, you know, just understand that any step is a step, you know, it's, it's something, even, you know, even if you're just sitting there being like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit with this and, and try not to do anything harmful to myself, you know, is, is a step. Totally. Know? I think like, Potentially this could be helpful for people if they're listening, but like when I have mornings where I really struggle to like put on real clothes and like uh, get anything like, I don't know. I, for me, like my day is kind of categorized by like before I put my contact lenses in and after. So like when I have my glasses and my PJs on, I like feel like 
I don't have to, like my day's not starting yet. I don't have to do anything. Um, and it's like a hugely daunting and exhausting task for me, like every day to like put my contacts in and like prepare myself to like attack my day. And something that helps me kind of transition is like, I'll do a really small like housekeeping task. So whether it's like, I'll just wipe the like kitchen table off or I'll straighten up, I'll like fold some clothes that need to get folded or I'll just like move even the easiest, like just move my dirty clothes from my hamper into the washing machine. I literally don't have to do anything except press a button. It takes 30 seconds and you're like, oh my God, I freaking did something already. Like I just accomplished something on my to-do list, no matter how trivial and small it is. And like, for some reason that helps me like fully like start my day. No. And I, I think that that is such a great concept. And, you know, just, I think that sometimes we get so stuck in our all or nothing thinking that we think, well, if we can't do like a full workout, you know, this idea. And I, I, I do that same things. If I'm struggling, I'll try to start with like, can I just, can I just get up out of the bed? Let's just start with that. You know, can I look around? Is there like, is there literally like a piece of paper that I can try to put in recycling or or throw out or whatever it is? And, you know, look, and sometimes, and sometimes the answer is no, you know, sometimes it's like, no, I can't. And that's okay. But if you can at least start not from like the top down of what you expect from yourself, but just from the, the ground up, like, all right, what can I, what's a step that I can take it, it it can make a big difference as you start to chain those little steps together. Totally. And some people just don't give themselves permission because they start saying, Oh, this is, I'm a loser. Like, this is horrible. Like I used to be able to do this and now I can't, you know, now I'm only, it's just, and try as best as you can to just get out of that space. And just into, if you're feeling depressed or you're feeling anxious, it's okay to downshift to, to make a little progress. Totally. Yeah. I think breaking the pattern as best as you can of all or nothing thinking is massive. Cause like, I totally get what you mean. Like I used to feel like if I couldn't do everything on my to-do list for that day, then it wasn't worth tackling anything. Like the whole thing felt so exhausting. I didn't even want to try making a dent in it. And then when I was able to get to a place where like accomplishing three things on my to-do list was like a massive win for the day. Um, you just like feel so much. All right. So I'll speak from like first person, at least on my own experiences for me, that has like, I feel so much more capable and self-sufficient and independent on a daily basis when I am able to like pride myself on just doing like a portion of my to-do list instead of feeling like a failure. Cause I didn't do the whole thing. Yeah. I, you know, we, I, unfortunately I just realized we're, we're at the, you know, coming to the end of our time, but that, that that's helpful. Honestly, Charles, everything you're talking about has been uh, really great to hear. And, and I'm so glad I appreciate you being so forthcoming with this stuff This is difficult stuff. And I know it's going to help people listening. Totally. Thanks for, for like indulging these thoughts and for having this conversation with me. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been my pleasure and best of luck me with too. everything. You too. Thanks so much for having me. So there it is, Chelsea Cutler talking about her experience of depression. There's so much that we can take away from the conversation with Chelsea. 
But I think one of the most interesting concepts Chelsea raised was the idea of the commodification of mental illness. And what Chelsea is talking about is something that we see in many areas of both art and commerce. And that is where people represent something publicly, in this case, mental illness or some other aspect of mental health, as part of a product that is sold. And this is a very tricky balance. On the one hand, having a certain issue such as mental illness represented in the public sphere has the potential to be validating and inclusive. By seeing mental illness represented in art or discussed in businesses, there is the potential for people to feel more heard, less alone, and less stigmatized as a result. And that's why I think it's so powerful when prominent artists like Chelsea share their story so people can identify with her story, feel understood and validated, and hopefully reach out for the help they need. But on the other hand, sometimes the representation of mental illness may inadvertently not achieve that more positive goal. As an example, if it's not represented in a way that feels genuine, authentic, and accurate to people who struggle with mental illness, this representation in art and business may actually have the opposite effect that Chelsea described. That somehow the pain of a mental illness like depression might be misrepresented, maybe even glamorized for the purposes of selling an idea or an image. As an example, Chelsea talked about the idea that depression may be represented as more superficial, like a fleeting mood, rather than a painful and serious mental illness. And this can actually make people who struggle with mental illness feel more alone, less understood, and even more stigmatized. It's so important that we address this topic as part of the conversation of how people who struggle with mental illness are understood, represented, and treated in the world. And it's no doubt difficult at times for businesses and artists to have a sense of that right balance of these issues. In fact, we at Going There, a podcast about mental illness, where we typically promote the podcast itself as well as the artist's music, are constantly having these discussions about how to walk that line. We so badly want people to feel validated and empowered, but we have to be careful that we don't inadvertently sensationalize or misrepresent the people who struggle with their mental health as part of promoting the podcast or the artist's work. And there's no clear answers per se. We just have to keep the conversation going and keep listening to the artists and listening to you, the listeners, to find out if we're in fact hitting the right notes. And that's also what we hope people do who want to help and be a part of the mental health conversation in general, whether it's with loved ones, friends who struggle, artists or businesses who want to address the issue of mental health and mental illness. Hopefully, as we all keep trying and as we all keep having those important conversations and learn more about mental illness, over time, we'll be more likely to validate and destigmatize people who struggle with mental illness and less likely to fall into the trap of the commoditization of mental illness that Chelsea discussed. I want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with depression, anxiety, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at the Crossroads.